Good evening. It is great to have you all with us tonight. You are in for a real treat. Now, one of the things, if you've not been to Horizon before, I want to say a special welcome. I'm one of the pastors here. My name is Chad. And we love having conversations about uh, religion, philosophy. We're in a series right now about literature and really exploring truth in whatever form it comes in. And specifically, we love to help people explore through education the differences in different philosophies, the differences in different religions, and that is certainly going to be true tonight. One of our hallmarks of the church is we often invite people in from different perspectives. Sometimes I've had friends of mine who are practicing Muslims up here on stage, like my friend Majad, talking about the differences between the Quran and the Bible, or between uh, Jesus and Muhammad, why he'd come to his conclusions, why I'd come to mine. Uh, we've had friends up on stage who are agnostics and, and, and practicing Judaism. And we feel like those kind of helpful dialogues can really encourage us to just explore what we believe how we've come to our conclusions, what other truths might be out there. Is there really evidence for Jesus, the Bible, and this thing called Christianity? And so t- today's a chance really to explore that in what's called worldviews. And to do that, we brought in a guest speaker, uh, Ergen Kainer. And what he's going to do is he works for a, a group called uh, Global Apologetics, which is kind of a religious word. But apologetics is really the idea of can you explain, can you articulate, can you kind of defend why you've come to your conclusions? So in one sense, all of us should be apologists in that we can all explain to somebody if they ask of us, why have you come to your conclusions? Something beyond my parents taught me, something beyond, well, I guess I grew up that way. Have you ever thought through what you believe? So he's an author of, was it 32 books did I see? Let me look that number up. The 24 books he's contributed to or written, he's been a president or vice president of three Christian colleges. He grew up as a Muslim. He converted in 1982, where he was disowned by his father because of his decision to follow Jesus. So he's going to talk about that journey, the conclusions he came to, and really answer some questions. And there will actually be a Q&A time at the end as well. So if you have some questions you want to write down or be prepared, we're going to have lots of time for Q&A. So can we give a warm horizon welcome to Ergen Kainer. Thanks for being here today. Appreciate it. Uh, what Pastor was too kind to say uh, is the, the graciousness of your invitation and having me in partly is because um, my brother is a member here. My brother attends here. Um, all three of us, Adam, Mark, is right in front here. So um, if I mess up or screw up or do something wrong, you can, uh, you can blame him. But uh, we were all three. Uh, raised as Sunni Muslims. Our father moved to, to America and uh, he built the mosque in Columbus, Ohio, on Broad Street. It's actually called the Islamic Foundation. And um, perhaps a little bit later on, I'll get into um, how I became a Christian. But basically what happened was one obnoxiously tenacious boy who uh, just wouldn't shut up for three and a half years. Uh, Jerry Tackett was with us. We moved and lived in Gahanna, Ohio, graduates of Gahanna Lincoln High School. And um, Jerry Tackett started in my freshman year and didn't shut up until my almost senior year. And he would just keep coming and keep inviting. And the more I told him no or uh, shut up or leave me alone, uh, he he kept coming back. And he kept inviting. And so I decided at some juncture to, this will shut him up, I'll, I'll, I'll come. 
And I walked into the Stells Road Baptist Church, uh, which is right near the airport there in uh, Columbus, Ohio, and uh, had an encounter with Christ. I mean, a hardcore salvation. Uh, All three of us are now uh, not only Christians, practicing Christians, all three of us uh, ended up with our doctorates. All three boys are our ministers. All three, my youngest brother, Emir, is the president of Truett McConnell Baptist College in uh, Georgia. Uh, I live outside of Fort Worth, Texas. And of course, Mark lives about uh, two minutes from here. Uh, and so <laughs> we get to visit here. And I have been to your church any number of times. And uh, just to be able to be part of this and, and to do this with you is um, it's awesome. What I do and what we do is I like to present the gospel and we do it in a secular environment. Uh, Most specifically, community colleges, universities. um, Those are the kids that I'm drawn to. That's why I do church camps. I do camps because it was a boy who led me to Christ and shared the gospel with me. And because of that, it's it's been a passion of mine. And more specifically, when we became Christians... Um, we became the most obnoxious kids in your Sunday school class because we became the kids who just asked why over and over. Uh, If you've ever been around those kids, imagine being raised Sunni Muslim, reading the Quran, um, and now becoming a believer in Jesus and having a Bible for the first time in our lives and having a Sunday school class for the first time in our lives and being exposed to this. I had more questions than they uh, really felt like answering. Uh, if you can understand what I'm saying, we were, we were just obnoxious about it. And uh, that's why we ended up getting the degrees that we got. We ended up all three going to school because a year later I felt like I was, um, I felt like I was called to ministry. Didn't know what that meant. And I wanted to go to Bible college. Could not find a school in Ohio that would have me. Um, like pastor said, I was, I was disowned, so I didn't have much money. So got on I-75, went south to Cumberland College in Williamsburg, Kentucky. Now, Erdem and I, Mark and I, are both born in Sweden. Okay, our parents, Turkish, but we're born in Sweden. We moved to America in Ohio. That is a different language uh, than Kentucky. (laughs) It was a remarkably eye-opening experience, uh, if I could say. But that was the beginning. That was the beginning of my journey. Now, when I go to college campuses, or we go to a community college, or we go anywhere, I invite the American Atheist Union. I talk to the kids and say, you know, bring your bring your questions. Just bring your I like and love and deal with skeptics and critics and cynics because those are the testing times. Those are the moments where if you can break through whatever caricature they have of you, you know, they think we're a bunch of Bible-thumping, mean, suit-wearing, you know, carrying a 50-pound Bible with a 3D picture of Jesus looking like Ted Nugent on the front of it kind of guys. And I don't look like, you know, I I dress differently and I look differently than perhaps what they expect. 
And what I do is I basically have one simple premise. We begin with one simple premise, which is they've been very gracious. Horizon has been very gracious to allow me to do this here in this context tonight. The simple premise operates off of two things that I, I'm driven by. Any student who takes me, any class I teach, the students have to memorize these two simple, um, if you will, mantras, and they feed into what we're going to do tonight. The first one is this. I know that what I know is more important than how I feel. You think about it. It's 2018. Language has changed. The way that we speak changed. They, it's all about how I feel. That's, that's, you know, that's, your, that's your truth. Well, no, truth is truth. And um, it's not malleable. And um, quite frankly, I don't care about your feelings. Not to offend you, but feelings change. Feelings shift. If one moment you feel one way, you may change the next morning. You, you, know, you often hear this when they go, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. And um, I'll come back to that in a minute, but I go, okay, well, great, that's, that's fine. You know, it's, I understand how you believe, but that's not how I feel. Well, okay, but what if the way you feel is because of a bad burrito or something you ate last night or, you know, you had too much spicy food and all of a sudden the feeling changes. It, it, I, know, I, I believe that what I believe is more important than how I feel. And the second thing that they have to know is that I know that what I know makes me who I am. You are the sum total of your beliefs. And to say it in the Kentucky way, what's down in the well eventually comes up in the bucket. <laughs> yes? You follow what I'm saying? Um, and so what I do is, is I basically operate with one simple premise, and this is what I will spend our time doing. I'm not religious. I, I'm a Christian. Uh, that's one of the things that seems to interfere with good conversation. I teach world religions. I teach Near Eastern religions, Far Eastern religions, Middle Eastern religions, uh, primitive animism, Western and New. If they come out of Hinduism, it's Buddhism, Jainism, and Sikhism. If you want to know what took place in the Middle East say, 500 years before Christ, it was called Zoroastrianism or Parsaism. Um, Islam, modern Judaism, Baha'i. If you've ever been to Haifa, Israel, that's where the headquarters of the Baha'i are. The Far Eastern religions like Taoism and uh, Confucianism and Shintoism and Falun Gong and these things. And they've all made inroads into our culture. One of the things that drives me crazy is Christianity has a tendency to hide behind the compound wall. We, 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 we come to church because it's safe and we watch the world going crazy and we don't really get a chance to have an impact and the world around us is changing. I mean, look, look, you guys are a perfect example of this. Look around. You look like a bowl of Skittles. You look like different shades and colors of people and, and you, you know, different hair colors and etc. There's the inked and the non-inked and the dressed up and the not dressed up. And, and your work is changing. Your school is changing. Your culture is changing. And if we don't learn to, to answer their questions from their assumptions, how effective are we ever going to be? 
As a quick example, if you're sharing the gospel with somebody who, say, is Hindu, and Hinduism has 330 million gods, you know, you have those who are followers of Shiva and Vishnu, you have the Rig Vedas that they have to read. And if you ask a, a Hindu to accept Jesus as Lord, great, we're in. They'll raise their hand. Because accepting Jesus as Lord is not hard for them if they've got a whole bunch of them. And again, the example that I use is um, one of the greatest movies of all time is called Gladiator. Uh, If you remember a scene in Gladiator when he takes the helmet off, turns around and faces the king, and you know, when he says, I'm father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or in the next, I... And f- screaming at the screen. I'm a, I love that moment. I love that movie. But if you remember, Spaniard would carry around these little idols with him. They were his family idols. And so like in Hinduism, you can have Ganesh, the elephant-headed god. Um, any one of the ones that I mentioned. you got to explain to them, well, Jesus is Lord alone. He, he doesn't share his throne with anyone. And that he died for you. He loves you. This is not a caste system. He died for the world. And he he wants to have a relationship with you. And by the way, I study your religion. I would ask you then to perhaps be open to studying mine. And then the immediate response is almost always this. Oh, well, you're religious. Now, if you will note, I haven't even given you a text yet. Because you're going to do that in a minute. I'm not picking the text. Because... That's one of the assumptions they have about us. Well, you're going to show up. You're going to ask for money. Well, I'm asking, don't ask for a penny. Don't need it. And, oh, well, you've already got it set up. No, you're actually going to throw the text at me. But what I actually do is I, I begin by saying, I don't like religion. I don't think religion does any good. Religion, if you can define it, is a set of rituals and rules and things that you do to either, got, to either get your God to love you or to get your God to quit hating on you. And if that is the case, that religion is a set of rules and things that you do to stop the tsunami or to uh, bring the crops, then I would submit to you that everything Jesus Christ did destroyed that. I study religion because I'm fascinated by it. I, I study all world religions because I think it's important. But I myself am not religious. If I can introduce it this way, we're going to get started. Um, I have been sick. I had heart failure about four years ago. And so for four years, I have been watching what I would submit to you is called Best Trash TV. Okay? Trash TV is reality television, and uh, I adore it. I love it. If for a moment I could be uh, Dog the Bounty Hunter, I would love to be Dog the Bounty Hunter. I love his hair. I love his mullet. I love that he sews feathers into it. I love that his wife can't breathe when she's driving because she's pressed up into the steering wheel. I love that I've, I've fallen in love with watching that show. Now, that show's gone off the air, but I still, it's still on. 
One of the shows I love that's still on the air and I watch obsessively is now called Live PD. But it used to be called Cops. And if you're ever feeling bad about yourself, you watch an episode of Cops and you're like, oh, well, I feel much better, you know, because... Um, <laughs> because they're getting in fights and doing things that I normally probably wouldn't do, um, but maybe I'm susceptible to doing, and I love watching it. They're like deer in the headlights when the cops show up. But if there is a show that I would admit to you, perhaps embarrassingly so, that I am addicted to, it's called Hoarders. Anybody else watch Hoarders? Let me explain. If you've never seen it, I'm begging you to go home and DVR it. Here's hoarders. The outside of the house looks exactly like your house and my house. Almost always, it looks just like our home. But then you open the door and discover that they've been collecting fingernail clippings since the 1930s or... um, They've got newspapers stacked to the ceiling and they believe everything has value and, and how dare you throw these things out and they're all one or two days away from eviction and I love that show. I love because I'm a slob. I am by nature a slob. I live in Texas with my son, Drake and I, and we are both slobs. You, when we come in the home, you can always find us because there's a trail of clothing as we're taking it off from inside the door to wherever we lay down. And we get in our chair and we got our food surrounded around me. I used to, on a Saturday morning, I would get yelled at because eventually I would hear something to the effect of, are you going to lay there all day? Um, yes. Yes, I am. Uh, I'm laying here on the couch because it's my day off. I'm surrounded by a body outline of Cheetos (laughs) because I love my Cheetos. I've got a row on my chest of Oreos (laughs) that go straight down like this. And I'm just eating them. And if they get tangled in the chest hair, that's just one other thing I've got to deal with. See, some of y'all getting grossed out already. Uh, I'm going to get up in a minute and go to the restroom. And then I'm coming right back and I'm going to lay back down. And I'm going to take a nap and then I'm eventually going to go to sleep because it's not the same thing. Napping is different than sleeping and I'm going to do both. So there are moments where um, that horrifies people. And maybe it gets to me a little bit until, until I watch Hoarders. And then I feel better than everybody else. Because even though I'm covered in Cheeto dust and my fingers are bright orange, um, at least I'm not that guy. That, my brother and sister, is um, what we would call the religious impulse. See, the religious impulse is this. We all have sets of rules. Maybe my rules are bad, but you know what? They're not as bad as that, that other person. Well, I would submit to you that if religion is a set of rules and things you do to get your God to love you more or to get your God to quit hating on you, then Christianity is the exact opposite of that. I am not religious. I think in the name of religion, we've killed way too many people.
I think in the name of religion, we fight wars. I think in the name of religion, we attack people. I'm not religious, I'm a Christian. And to prove the point, instead of throwing out a text that I've already set up, I want to show you something. For those of you that are Christians, I want to show you something we often skip over. We who are believers in Jesus Christ, if you've read the Bible any length of time, there's this introduction to the epistles in the New Testament. An epistle is a letter. And so all the epistles in the New Testament, 14 of them written by Paul, James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, they have an introduction. And they also have a conclusion called a benediction. We skip over those because they all sound basically the same. They all sound basically, well, I, Bob, write to you, Tim, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace and mercy and peace unto you in the name of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that kind of thing. We skip over it because it sounds redundant. Same reason we skip over the begats in Matthew and in Luke, where he says, you know, Bob had Sally, Sally had Steve, and you know, it seems repetitive. But I would submit to you that it's in those words, it's in those introductory words, or in the closing ones, that in any epistle in the New Testament, that it's actually God pointing out how we are not, in fact, religious, but we are distinct because everything that Jesus did destroys the religious impulse. So, here's what I need. I need somebody to tell me your favorite epistle. It doesn't matter by who. Paul, Peter, James, I don't care. Uh, Somebody to yell out your favorite epistle. Okay, we got one. Colossians. I need um, one more. Give me one more. Romans? Is that what I heard? Romans? Okay, so we got Romans and we got Colossians. If you've got a Bible or um, if you've got an app, here's what we'll do. I'm going to read the very beginning of those books to you just to point out something, show you what I'm talking about, and then we'll open the floor to questions. All right, so um, Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant, a slave of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God, which he has promised before to his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. And it's by him, by the way, that we receive grace and apostleship of obedience for the faith among all the nations for his name. Now, he goes on like that, but in verse 7 he says, and by the way, I'm writing this letter to everybody who's in Rome, the beloved of God, you who are called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? So the next one you yelled out was Colossians. So let me go to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. And here's what it says. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ Jesus who are in Colossae, grace unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we skip over it because it seems to be just the basic same connection. And like I said, it sounds like he then lays out rules. And like other hoarders, we're all basically the same thing. You may worship in a different language, but we all worship the same way. 
let me see if I can challenge that assumption. Number one, every other religion on the planet, every other religion that you can name, has a god or gods who is either distant or uninterested, judge, or non-existent. For instance, Hinduism may have 330 million gods. Buddha didn't believe in any, right? Siddhartha Gautama didn't believe in any gods. And then he becomes the Buddha, and now two forms of Buddhism sort of call him God. Every other religion on the planet, they have a god or gods that's distant, um, unrelatable, got a lightning bolt in his hand, watching from a distance. Only in Christianity, please hear me, only in Christianity, do we have a relationship whereby the moment you became a child of him, the moment you accepted Christ as your savior, he didn't just forgive you of your sins, he didn't just prepare you for heaven, but he entered into a relationship with you whereby he becomes father. No other religion has that. Every other religion has a God or gods, and they're, you know, some of them are judges. They're waiting for you to screw up so they can just strike you down. But what I discovered when I became a believer in Jesus Christ is God our Father. I became a, a child of God, not just a creation of God. He entered into a relationship with me. He didn't just save me. See, that's a problem. Say these words. Repeat these words after me. Now you're one of us. You get to go to heaven. I get that. You want to go to heaven. I want fire insurance. You got it. I get that. But Christianity is so much more than that. The moment you became a believer, he became intimate with you. He became father. No other religion. You don't accept, uh, for instance, you don't accept Allah in your heart or into your life as Lord and Savior. You would never call them father. So when we became Christians and we were disowned, I lost my, I lost my earthly father. But again, here's some of the Kentucky background. Um, I discovered that I was now part of something important. I was now part of a family. That's why we come to church. We don't come to church to look fancy. We don't come to church because it's off the checklist. We come to church because he's our father and we are family. Everybody needs family. Or to use the Kentucky term, kin folk. We are kin. Here's the problem with kin folk. Here's why churches fight. Because when it comes to kin folk, um, you got to love them, but you may not like them. And that's why we fight. You're related to them. Come Thanksgiving... There are people sitting at your table that if you had a chance, you would stab with your fork. (laughs) There are people that you talk to and you're like, just shut your mouth five minutes. I'll duct tape it shut. You've got people that we all have the uncle who who lives in the basement that nobody sees until that one time a year. And that uncle, as much as you can't stand it, is related to you. You are genetic family. You are kin. And that... changes your perspective. That means you could not, for a thousand attempts, be a racist 
if you're a believer in Jesus. Because we worship differently. I get to be in different churches, different denominations. I get to be in different styles. And um, where I'm at in West Fort Worth, we're west of Fort Worth. I get to sometimes speak in Hispanic churches. Y'all ever been, anybody been to a Hispanic worship before? 51 guitars on stage. And I mean, they're playing fast and you recognize the tune, but you may not recognize the, the words because I don't speak any Spanish. Uh, and then somebody gets happy in the middle of the song. He's like that in the middle of the thing. And you're like, uh, you know, a little scary. Maybe throw you out. But here's the thing. If they are believers in Jesus, we're family. Every other religion, there can be an us versus them. But in Christianity, you can't. They're family. Anybody here ever been to a black church? Black service? Okay, if you've never been, all the rest of you white folk, all y'all crackers, listen to me very carefully. Hey, I'm olive-skinned. I can get away with it. Uh, Don't you ever complain to me about getting out at noon ever again. They don't get out to like 3 p.m. They sing for like an hour and a half. And you don't, I don't know the words. And when I'm speaking, the, my favorite part is they put me on stage. I'm on stage. And they're all moving to the song and, you know, dancing. And I'm, I have no rhythm whatsoever. I'm slamming into them and don't know the words. And sometimes the songs don't even have words. And I, I, I don't know the, what they're doing. But the thing is, they're believers in Jesus. And, and that means we're family. Who's from Kentucky? There's your hand. Y'all Kentucky folk. Y'all ever been to a real country church? Do you know what I'm talking about? They sing sliding hymns. Sliding hymns. What that means is, if you can't find the note, um, hunt for it a while. (laughs) You will eventually find the note. And... So those were the churches I served in. And they would, they would sing, uh, There's not a one like my precious Jesus. No, not one. No, no. Awesome. Um, when I finally got called to be a pastor, because this does not fit into the pastoral mode, I finally got called to be a pastor about 10 years later after I got saved and called, and it was in, it was in North Carolina. And they in that little town of 115 people, had a jug band. And if you've never heard of a jug band, uh, welcome to the club. They have um, a gut bucket, like a tub, that one guy's thumping on. Somebody's playing a comb or some sort of mouth thing that's bow, 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 like this. Um, Somebody's playing spoons, and they gave me the jug. Now, here's the problem. Nobody explains to you, because it doesn't have any moving parts, nobody explains that um, you got to inhale sometimes, because all I was doing was, and I start seeing white dots, because all I was doing was exhaling, and they just thought that was the funniest thing on the planet, watch the pastor pass out. Uh, okay, that's not my style of singing. That was not my background. That was not my... My first concert was not Sandy Patty. My first concert was Van Halen. Um, okay, so I don't understand that style of worship. But there are, in those awesome churches, kinfolk. You, you don't have a right, if you have a common father, 
to hate anyone. Because they are either people for whom he died, who don't know that yet, or they are believers in Jesus and they are family. Every other religion on the planet, God is distant. You know what I discovered when I became a Christian? I discovered that be anxious for nothing. By prayer and supplication, make your request known unto God. I learned that uh, the Father inclines his ear to hear the prayers of his saints. I, I learned be ang- uh, we come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy in a time of need. Who are you to ever come boldly before God? Oh, that's right. Yeah, you're a child of the Father. That's why we come boldly. He gives you access because he is your Father and you are his child. Number two. In every other religion on the planet, every other one of them, you got gurus, teachers, guides. Only in Christianity do we have a savior. Now, this is not a bumper sticker, so let me see if I can explain. Remember, every time it says, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me show you something. What I learned when I studied world religions are there are some amazing teachings out there. In Buddhism, it's the Eightfold Noble Path, the Four Noble Truths. Um, In Kyao Dai, you know, there's the Divine Mother. Um, In Islam, Muhammad, who uh, the collection in the Quran may not be his teachings, but in Al-Bukhari's Hadith, the collections of his examples, there are some incredible moral people with incredibly strong ethical standards. Uh, really unbelievably important teachings that they leave. You know, the uh, Analects by Confucius. Um, these are some great things. And I, my students have to read these books. Here's the problem. Christianity doesn't look for Jesus as the divine teacher or a guru. He's either savior or Christianity is a waste of time. That's the presentation that the Bible gives us, which said in a different way is this. If Jesus didn't do what this book says he did, and if he isn't who this book says he is, virgin born, sinless life, died a vicarious death on the cross, etc., buried, resurrected, ascended, returning, if, if, if the Bible is a lie, then what did Paul say? Paul said if there was no resurrection, we are still in our sin. Another way to say that is Christianity is a waste of time. You shouldn't be here. It's a Sunday. There's more important things to do. There's more important things to do on your one day off for some of us. If Christianity is not Christomorphic and Christocentric, and if he isn't actually who he said he is, um, then everything's a lie. Christianity is a lie, and you should never attend again. And it's what I do with some of the kids who... Identify as atheists. I tell them, if you can disprove the resurrection to me, I'll leave with you. But if you study it, I promise you, you will come to confrontation with him. Because the more evidence you look for, the more evidence you see. And it seems to have worked through the years. I have two cats. I never considered myself a cat person. Never. I used to have a dog. I had a tiny little dog when I lived in Vincennes, Indiana whose name was Oprah. I named her Oprah because um, she uh, never shut up. And she always liked this. 
And I love that dog. Never thought I would have cats. Now I've got two cats because my son loves cats. Uh, our oldest cat is named Wiz Catleafa. And our youngest cat is named Sampin. But we call him, uh, call her Uganda Knuckles. And um, those two cats rule the house. They think they own the house. Cats are gloriously ambivalent. If you have a dog, you could be a mass murderer and come home having slaughtered a whole bunch of people and your dog will still love you. If you have a cat, you could be the president of the world and people and kingdoms bow to you. You walk in the house, the cat still doesn't care. And I like that. I'm actually drawn to that. I think that's fascinating to me because the cats are that way. They're the, they believe, kings and queens of our home. I say this because Jesus didn't proclaim himself just to be a good teacher. As a matter of fact, the Bible is explicit. He's Lord, Savior, God, and King. He wasn't just a prophet. He's prophet, priest, and king. You can't just accept a little bit. You can't make him into your image. You can't shape Jesus into just a revolutionary or just a great teacher. He was all those things. But you don't have to denigrate other religions to present the fact that Jesus came to be the sacrifice. And if he did die, well, then there's an important third point. Next one. We skip over this, and especially those of you who were raised in church. If you were raised in church, we think that these terms are interchangeable. Peace, mercy, grace. Grace, mercy, and peace. Grace and mercy, mercy, and grace. We sort of skip over them like they're the same thing. But as you read, and as we just saw, they're not only not the same thing, they're the exact opposite. Every other religion understands mercy. No one understands grace. Watch. Mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. Everybody gets that. You know, you do this dance, you do this thing, you do this jig, and hopefully the rain comes. Or the rains stop, the floods go away. Everybody's got a religious impulse. Religions thrive on seeking mercy. We do these things and hopefully good will come. Mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. But grace is when you receive something you don't deserve. It's the exact opposite. Mercy, you don't get what you should get. Grace, you get something you didn't earn. So, mercy, I'm seeking God to stop. Whatever it is that I don't want to get, I know I deserve it, but stop. Grace, I can't do anything to deserve it. I can't do anything to earn it. And here's the one illustration that works in church. I haven't been able to do this in forever. You don't do it in a school. You can do this in a church. I want you to look around And as you look around, look at the married couples. And I would venture to say that in this room, there are men that married by grace. (laughs) They didn't deserve her. There are, no, I don't mean to offend you. Please don't get mad at me. But there are some mud duck ugly men in this room. (laughs) 
married to beautiful women and you wonder, how did that, you ever see that when you're like, how did that happen? Grace. That's grace. Look at me. I weigh 8,000 pounds. If you were to tell me to relax, relax, take your vest off. Can't. Because I only iron the part of the shirt you're ever going to see. Seems to me to be stupid to iron the part that you tuck in or underneath the vest. And secondly, this is the male equivalent of a girdle. This holds all this in. Look at this. I've been bald since I was 16 years old. About four times a year, I have to separate um, my eyebrow. You're supposed to have two. Um, And I'm not alone. My brother is sitting right there. And you can tell if he had a long night on a Saturday night, if you walk up to him and talk to him, because both he and I have to shave up near our eyeballs because that's how high we grow. We are half orangutan. (laughs) If I got what I deserved, well, go to Turkey. There are women with better mustaches than I have in my country. And if I got what I deserve, I know what I deserve. I want grace. See, what Jesus did for you is by definition nothing you could earn. Number four, why I'm not religious. In every other religion, you've got to follow these rules to be allowed in. In every other religion, you've got to do these things. You either say shahada or uh, if you're a Sikh, the five Ks, you know, the knife, the comb, you have to follow these rules. You have to do these things. And if you are faithful and do these things then you are eventually allowed in. Only, my brothers and sisters, only in Christianity, if you think you can earn your way in, you're not ready. Only in Christianity do you have to admit you can't be good enough to be allowed in, to be allowed in. That's the definition of repentance. Repentance is not a work. If I could be good enough to be allowed into heaven, then the cross... And Christ's death was a waste of time. If, if I think I'm good enough, then I'm, the Bible says, trampling the blood underfoot. I'm making a mockery of what Jesus did. See? Repentance is not a work. It's the end of work. It's when I surrender. It's when I admit I'm, I can't be good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not nice enough. I'm not sweet enough. I'm not good. Look, trust me. You want to know why I'm a, I'm a professor? I was a horrible pastor. Horrible. There are people in this room. I was my fiance's pastor. I promise you. I was horrible. Do you know why? I was a horrible youth pastor. I was a horrible pastor. Because I don't have the mercy gift. The the pastors here, Marcus, they've got the mercy gift. They'll talk to you and pray with you. And I don't have that. And where I teach and where I, when I go and speak in camps and such, these little kids, these girls... These tiny little girls, like my niece, they'll come up, they all weigh eight ounces, and they'll go, um, Dr. Kenner, will you pray with me? And I'll go, oh, oh, okay, well, what do you want to pray about? Um, okay. Um, I eat, and I eat, and I eat, and I eat, and I cannot gain any weight. I just eat so much, but I can't gain any weight. Will you pray with me? No. 
I will not pray with you. I'd like to deep fry you personally. I'd like to, I wish, wish you'd keep that to yourself. Um, when I was a youth pastor, man, the girls would call 4 a.m. in the morning. Why do you break up with me? Probably because you called him at 4 a.m. in the morning. I'm not a morning person. Pastor preaches early on Sunday mornings. Y'all got four services here. You got 4.30 on Saturday here. And if you're a visitor, you can actually come early. The 8.50 service, you got the 10 o'clock, 11.10. You got early services. God bless you. And and if I ever preach here, um, maybe you can find somebody to fill in the early service. Because I'm not the morning guy. I'm the... I represent grumpy Christians. I represent the people who are not morning people. And we know who you are, the morning people. We know you because we see you. And you are the ones who are there. You're the ones who go to church camp. You're up at 5 a.m. in the morning going, everybody, let's wake up. Come on. Rise and shine and give God the glory. I will throw a shoe at you. And the music guy who goes, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you happy? Smile. Do that one more time. Come close. Do it one more time. I will strangle you with your own skinny tie. I'm not that guy. And by the way, it's no offense to the females. Because the boys would call. Because there's a difference. A glorious difference. When girls break up or when girls go through that issue, the... I don't know if it's a trumpet or a siren or a conch shell or something, but they blow and they gather their friends from the four winds and they sit in a circle and and eat ice cream until she's over you. All she needs is one night with her friends and she has resolved the issue and she will never take that guy back. The boys, they would spend two weeks acting like it didn't hurt until we'd find him in a tree somewhere with a PB gun shooting squirrels you know, she swore she'd love me, you know, shooting things, and then calling me at four o'clock and going, why'd she break up with me? What am I supposed to do? Um, and by the way, if you have a young boy who asks you that question, I've got a good answer. Uh, date her best friend. <laughs> That'll ruin her life and you will get over it. Now, that kind of advice... I'm not a pastor. I'm not nice. I, I love to teach. I love, I love doing this. I love this. And I discovered that I couldn't be good enough to get God to love me. And I couldn't be nice enough and I couldn't be sweet enough. I had to throw myself on the mercy of the God who loved me in spite of me. Last thing that proves I'm not religious is simple. In every other religion, men are called to die for their gods. But only in Christianity does God die for man. And it was the ultimate cosmic violence. And that's why he says our Lord and Savior, or he talks about the atonement or the sacrifice. What that means is the cross was the last act you notice that when somebody brings it up, they go, well, David killed, okay. Or, or Saul killed, awesome. But Jesus said you're going to be defined by loving your enemies, not killing them. Now, I'm not saying that I wouldn't defend myself. You break into my house and, and threaten my son, I will shoot you till you go away. 
And I live in Texas. Everybody's armed in Texas. And if I'm in church in Texas and I say something like, well, I'm dealing with some threats, I get like 50 people going. (laughs) You know? Or women pointing to their purses. (laughs) I got a Caltech 380. It doesn't mess up the silhouette of my dress. It's really... Uh, (laughs) But our call is to love those who may not love us back. Anybody can love lovable. You got to love the people back. You got to love people who don't love you back because that's exactly what he did. And on the cross, when he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He was talking about the very people who were gambling for his clothes and who had nailed him to that cross. That's why I'm not religious. And when I presented it in a secular environment, I opened the floor and I said, you can literally ask me about anything and I'll try to do my best to answer your questions. In this context here, um, here's what we're going to do. You can ask anything you want. I'm going to repeat your question so that we get it on the, on the recording. And if you don't feel like asking it out loud, uh, they have here the means to get in contact. My Twitter is my name, Ergen Canner. Um, Instagram, it's Ergen M. Canner. And you'll know it because about half of my Instagrams are my cats. And the other half are my son. Um, I will give you every means uh, to communicate with me to follow up if you don't feel like asking in this context. But I would hope that maybe I've jarred something or stirred something or, or opened up something that would get us kick started. See, this is the way we do church in white church. It's monologue. The guy preaches. He speaks, we listen. Not in the black church. No, in the black church, they'll talk back. I was preaching. I was preaching in Richardson, Texas, and I was young, and I had my Bible open. I said, let me show you what David said. And a woman on the front row, on the front row, who was fanning herself, went said, what did he say? And I went, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> You screwed me up. You messed me up, and I don't know. I've lost my place in the sermon. I literally lost my place in the sermon. Um, does anybody have any questions or anything that you would want to ask? This is, this is our shot. This is our chance. And this is the graciousness of the Horizon Pastors to let me do this. Yes, sir. Yes. 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 Um, if I'm reading your name tag, Lynn, Brother Lynn, I say this. Brother Lynn has said two things. One, he talked about strong coffee. And two, you asked about the Trinity. Here's a problem. As a, a Turkish man, we have stolen from every culture on the planet. And we call it Turkish coffee. My father, our father, who died as a Muslim, our father would anything, anything, literally anything. You like this coffee? 
Yes, yes. Mehmet Afendi coffee. He goes, it's Turkish coffee. <laughs> you like baklava? Yeah, well, yes, I love baklava. Turks invented that. <laughs> Everything. Everything. You could ask, you like that car right there? Turks. Turks invented this. The fact is, we stole coffee. There's a brother here who's, there's a young man here who's from Iraq. Who's from Iraq? Where's the gentleman from Iraq? Where? Yeah, yes. They invented the coffee. I was in Suleimania, Iraq. I, you know, trying to show off. And I was like, I'll take, please give me the coffee. I drank it and saw Jesus. I drank it. I drank it. And for a moment, I heard angels talking to me. There's never been coffee. They invented. But so I became clear when I say Turkish coffee. I take coffee intravenously and I love my coffee. But those little coffees are a great discussion opener. And I'll come back to that. I never had a problem with the Trinity, and here's why. He would say, well, you believe that God is Father, and God is Son, and God is Holy Spirit. How can three be one? In the Quran, Surah 5, fifth Surah, uh, verse 72, you cannot say this. Allah is not a Trinity. You know, the, the 112th Surah of the Quran says, Allah does not beget, nor is he begotten. How could you say that there's a Son and a Father? That was, for me, it was never a problem, um, because everything is a Trinity, you're thinking linear. You're thinking, how can three persons be one? But if I may, uh, space is trinity. See, people try to explain it to us in church, and they'll say, well, how about the egg is an, a symbol of the trinity? You got the shell, and you got the yolk, and you got the white. And all three parts are egg. But that quite, that didn't work. Because the, the yolk can't be the white, white can't be the shell, shell can't be the yolk. And they can't be the same at the same moment. Or water. We'll say water. H2O. It's ice when it's a solid. It's steam. And it's liquid. But again, steam can't be ice. Ice can't be water. Liquid. And liquid can't be steam. Not simultaneously. And from what the Bible teaches, he is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit simultaneously. Everything is Trinity. So I don't know how high up I am, but let's say I'm six feet off the ground. And at the end of my finger is a point in space. Here's what's fascinating. Let's say that this is um, 11 feet off the ground. I'm just making it up. It's also, say, again, making it up, because I don't know distance, it's 100 feet to the back door. And uh, from side to side, 250 feet. This point in space is both height and width and depth. And you have to have height to have width. You have to have width to have depth. You have to have depth to have height. They cannot exist separately. All three have to coexist at the same time. Otherwise, it's not a point in space. Time is trinity. It is now, according to that watch on the wall, 758 Let's just say for the sake of argument, boom, 7.59. Time is Trinity because when I said boom, that moment, it's now past. It was the future leading up to it and it was the present. It was present when I said boom. And you have to have the present to define the past. You have to have the future to define the past present and you got to have the present to define either one all three have to coexist or none of them exist we just we were trying to think linear 
when time and space, um, physics, astrophysics helped me understand that concept. God created the entire universe, and if he did, he created it triune. Next question. I'm trying to put my glasses on so I can see y'all if there's a hand up. Anybody? Oh, yes, ma'am, please. I do study Zoroastrianism. Um, I actually take my students. They have to go, if they do the Masters in Global Apologetics, they have to go with me to a Zoroastrian temple. Um, Zoroastrianism is monotheistic. Middle Eastern religions are monotheistic. Allah is Tawheed. He is is separate. He is alone. Um, And in Zoroastrianism, those of you who love the comics and comic books, Zoroastrianism basically has Ahura Mazda, the name of God, um, as Harvey Gant, Two-Face. He's fighting against himself. He's both good and evil. And it's like a flip of the coin. So they would say it's one God, but he's got two faces. And, and he fights against himself. If I may, uh, one of the things I always hear, and one of the things we deal with in our culture... TV, news, radio, everything. Um, For those of you who are longtime believers, I want to give you a tip-off. When they say, Allah is the same as Jehovah God of the Bible, I've had the honor of knowing some of the greatest, kindest Muslims uh, on the planet. The men who trained us, the ulema in our mosque, they were wonderfully kind men. But you would never, I've never heard that from a Muslim ever the 99 names of terror and glory. They would never say Allah of the Quran is the same as the God of the Bible. Our culture says this because they want us all to join hands and light a candle and sing the Coca-Cola theme song and, you know, all just, can I just get a hug? I need a hug. That's what our culture wants. They want everybody to hug. Um, But how do you explain to someone who hears this all the time? Well, come on, they have the same stories. You know, they have, uh, we have Noah, they have Nuha. Uh, they have stories about Jesus. I mean, the uh, Surah Miriam is named after Jesus' mother Mary. Um, a lot of the stories are similar. Abraham taking his son to the top of Mount Moriah. So, you know, Muhammad lived 570 to 632 AD. So it's about six centuries after Jesus. How do you explain this? I'm going to give you the secret, an easy way, but this is only for those of you who are mature Christians, those of you who've studied any kind of world religions, an easy way to explain this to stop the confusion. The best way to understand Islam is that from our context, Islam is nothing other than medieval Mormonism. Everything Joseph Smith did in the 19th century, Muhammad did in the seventh. And he did it first. And as a matter of fact, there's, there's close to 40 comparisons between Islam and Mormonism. For instance, both have a prophet who believed he heard a revelation from an angel, right? In Mormonism, it's the angel Moroni. Uh, Muhammad believed he heard from the angel Jibreel, Gabriel. 
um, both believed that they received a message that said all true religion on the planet was dead and that their prophet was going to teach the one true religion. Uh, Both men were given books and they believed they were given this as a revelation and and both of them believed that their book corrected the mistakes in the Bible. Both of them, abrogation it's called. They they, uh, included stories that they liked um, changed ones they didn't like from our perspective, they, 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 they abrogated the, the Bible. As a matter of fact, I tell my students, invite the Mormon in. Why do you hide? Invite him in. Oh, Elder Bob, Elder Steve, come on in. Have a Coke. They can't drink Coke, so that's, the, in, that's just an inside, it's an inside joke. That's an inside joke. But you say, hey, yeah, come on in. And, um, and then here's how you stop it. You look at the Mormon and you say, dude, I am so glad you were here. Because last night, while I was asleep, an angel appeared to me. And uh, the angel said, it's my job to correct the Book of Mormon. And they will say, no, the Book of Mormon is perfect. And I will say, but the Bible is perfect. But we correct the mistakes in the Bible. Well, I'm correcting the mistakes in the Book of Mormon. Well, you can't. Our book is perfect. I, t- I already told you. I the, we believe the Bible is perfect. And what, if it's not new, it's through. So they think it's a newer book. And so just come up with a newer book. That's how it seems to work. Both Muhammad and uh, Joseph Smith taught polygamy. Uh, both of them had polygamy, which was to the side of the male. How many, according to Surah 4 of the Quran, how many wives is a man allowed to have? It's up to four. He has to treat them kindly. He has to be able to afford them. He's allowed up to four. And in Mormonism, sister wives. Another really good reality trash TV. <laughs> um, both of them has females as sexual slaves for eternity. Those of you who study Mormonism, what is the greatest hope for a female in the Mormon religion? Yeah, yeah, to be a bride, a celestial bride, to be pregnant for eternity. Now, having seen pregnancy, that doesn't look like it's a lot of fun. I don't think anybody wants to be pregnant for eternity. And in Islam, if, if the shaheed dies, those who are followers of the, the very strict Wahhab teaching, what does the shaheed, what does the martyr get? Right, yeah, 72 perpetual virgins on couches with pomegranates. Interesting. Um, I dated girls from the South when I went to college. And I would say, well, you know, there are forms of Islam, because I'm a Sunni, uh, or I was raised Sunni, that teach Surah 4, verse 34. If a man fears disloyalty from his wife, first he is to admonish her, secondly refuse to share the bed with her, thirdly beat her. Now, not all Muslims believe that, but there are some. And here's what I hear almost unanimously. Uh, If you ever lay a hand on me, I will stomp a mud hole in you and I will walk it dry. The fun thing about being a Christian is that Christian women are tough. Y'all don't put up with much. I love a saved woman, but I fear you too. Um... So anyways, there, there are those ways to explain it and those ways to, to sort of uh, elaborate or enlarge upon it. And so back to the Zoroastrian point, the idea of a two-faced God, I got asked the question about evil earlier. One of the things that kids love to ask is, okay, wait a minute, you say God is sovereign and you say God is all-powerful. 
that God is all loving. But there's evil and suffering and innocent suffering. Kids born crack babies and children born with AIDS. So here's your problem, you Christian. Here's your problem. Either your God can't fix evil, in which case he's not all-powerful, or he won't, which means he's not all-loving. And I just so, I love that stuff because God told them where the tree was. He didn't hide it from Adam and Eve. He gave them access to it because without it, there's no such thing as forced worship. Man has to have a will. Man has to have freedom. Otherwise, forced love doesn't exist. You can force marriage, but you can't force love. You can't force worship. And here's what I, if it's okay, I want to close with this. And again, I'm going to stick around to the last person. One of the greatest apologetics, if you will, defenses of the faith we skip over all the time. Is the worship pastor here by any chance? Is he here? He is? Okay. There's no singing. I never understood singing. The boy who led me to Jesus, I finally decided to show up. I walked in, sat in the back, not knowing the Baptist secret, which is Baptist all sit in the back. And all of a sudden, I was surrounded by them. Here's the Bible. Here's the hymnal. Here's the bulletin. Do you love the Gaithers? You know, it was all that. And um, I didn't understand why you were so happy. And I didn't understand why you were singing. See, here's an apologetic that you don't know you're doing. No other religion on the planet worships. I'm going to say that again. There are groups that sing and there are groups that dance. Again, Turkish, Sufi, Islam, they do the whirling dervish. You spin and you spin and you spin and you spin and you spin until you're supposed to come into union with Allah. The Sufi believes if he does this along with the psychotropic drug, we, Turks, uh, you know the bong? We invented that. (laughs) You're welcome. Uh, but I would watch my son do this. Spin, 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 spin. So they do the work. There are groups that sing and dance, but watch. Every group that sings and dances, Near Eastern, Middle Eastern, or Far Eastern religions, every single one of them, what they do, whether it's the Buddhist at New Year or the Hindu who's by the River Ganges, every single one of them that, that, that dance and sing, they do it to get the favor, to earn a blessing from their God, to get something from their God. Christians worship. We're the only people who sing not to receive something, but because we, we already have. That was a profound effect on me. Y'all weren't singing to ask for something. Now again, it was a traditional church. I didn't understand why we were skipping the third verse every time. <laughs> I didn't understand, and I didn't like the welcome song because I told you, I'm a grump. I don't like the turn around, hug 15 next. No, I don't want to hug next unless I'm covered in Purell. Because some people, you watch them scratch and then they want to hug you. No, back away. But I couldn't understand why they were so friendly and why they were so happy and why they weren't asking for anything. You worship, singing, true worship is not to receive something, but because we are recipients. We've already received. And that's when worship becomes an incredible testimony. I have had the honor of standing here in a church where I've had the 
blessing of listening to your pastor preach. You've sat and been very patient with an 800-pound man talking. And I am very grateful. But I am explicitly grateful for those of you who, like that young boy, chase down people like me. Because most of the time, people give up. If you've ever had a door slammed in your face or had somebody tell you no, we eventually stop asking. You go to a door and you knock on it and you invite them to church and they say, no, I'm not coming. And they slam the door. You're just like, oh, well, he must not be elect. Just mark him off the list. <laughs> Enjoy hell, heathen, you know. <laughs> there are those of you in this room, like that young boy, who, um, who you've got loved ones you may have even stepped over on your way here tonight. Keep going, keep asking, keep inviting. If you've come here and somebody invited you and you want more information, there's cards in the back of your pews and outside the door to the left, you can just write down some, something and write down a question or one of the pastors will, will do that very thing with you. Um, but somebody did that for me. And now, 36 years later, I'm in Horizon. So let's close in a word of prayer. So Lord, um, I don't get to pray often in this context, but I am grateful. I'm grateful that there was a boy who was interested enough to ask me questions, who didn't just want to hit me with his Bible, who was willing to be patient with me as I struggled. All three boys in our family got saved because one tiny little church cared enough to love us. We are eternally changed because of it. May we never grow satisfied with cliches or bumper stickers or easy answers. May we seek your word, seek your face, and may we realize that something as simple as worship can speak to somebody's weary heart and and just amaze them. We realize that the first step to being good enough is to admitting that we can't be good enough. It's realizing that the cross had a reason. That Christianity is based on who Jesus is. And that we, though we may not know each other or may not even like each other, we who are believers are family. Thanks for putting me in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Bye-bye.